Romans chapter 13, and it is found on page, help me out, I don't have it, 948, 948 in your pew Bibles, and then you may stand once you have it for the reading of God's Word, Romans chapter 13. Here are these words, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I don't know if you have experienced this, but it it has been happening kind of in my soul since uh, 2012. Uh, in 2012, I, I kind of really started feeling that America, the American culture is in the middle of kind of a sweeping moral and societal revolution. Have you felt it? It, it was back then in 2012 where besides the, these just seasons of cultural change, you know, technology comes and all these things start happening, I, I started feeling that there was a real shift A sudden shift, like a high school student learning how to do shift using the shifter. It's like, (coughs) and then all of a sudden finding it and starting moving again. That's kind of what I felt when with our cultural changes. And it felt like the, the, the pace was almost stunning, that things were now starting to happen. I remember feeling very different in my soul after the 2012 election when a number of states easily pass referendums on same-sex marriage. It's just like one domino after another domino after another. And I'm just going, kind of had this stunned look like, how is this happening? How is this happening so quickly? I remember seeing that there were rejected constitutional amendments for traditional marriage. There was the approval of the legalization of marijuana. And the the ballot initiatives gave me a clear sense that our our culture was quickly changing. And I began to feel more and more, as I should, an exile. 
walking through a land that is not really mine. I felt it again in 2016. Many would just say, well, we're making America great again, but there was still something in my gut going, there's something still very wrong, broken. The challenge is not just a political challenge. There's deep cultural challenge that even goes on on different, different fronts. Let me give you a few. The Supreme Court has, has ruled that same-sex marriage is now a constitutional right. The topic of transgender is front and center. Business owners, executives, board members, Christian educational institutions are trying to navigate new legal and public relation, the, the landscape, as it relates to religious liberties. But the issues in our culture are not just around uh, sexuality and marriage and gender. There's other very significant challenges and cultural changes that are being addressed right now in our time and in our age. Black Lives Matter is, is the painful expression of sorrow that many African Americans feel as they hear about just another black man being shot and killed. That's in our culture right now. We've seen protests all over our country and violent clashes with police in cities like Ferguson and Baltimore. And with each flare-up, we learn about the levels of frustration and mistrust that exist between law enforcement and the people in the community. Between government and her people. Something is happening in our culture and in the midst of this cultural challenge, there's an important question that is brought to the surface about what is the purpose of government? Is government the solution? Is government the, the problem? Or is government something else? How should Christians relate to government and its imperfections and its brokenness? What if the government becomes our adversary? And how should we think about the concept of authority in all of this? And I think that it's providential that God has given us in His Word, His inspired Word, Romans 13, 1-7. And I want you to, to help you understand what this text teaches about the Christian view of government. Because honestly... I think most of us in this room have got it wrong. This, this text is extremely helpful in creating a framework for having a Christian mindset as how you think, interact, and work within the structures of authority. I want you to think back. We, we, this all started, all these real practical pieces came after Paul had this doxological moment of seeing how God is at work in saving and redeeming His people. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. In other words, God's got this all together. He has designed all of this. And Paul is going, I can't believe this. 
This is amazing. And then he ends with verse 36 in chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are what? All things. How much? All things. Are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And then we find this section here in chapter 13, 1 through 7, where Paul is now talking about government. For from him and to him, through him, are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. This is the God who has orchestrated all things. And now Paul is addressing this and saying, listen, you need to have a Christian mindset. If you are, as chapter 12, verse 1 says, you are a living sacrifice. And this is your spiritual act of worship of saying, Lord, here I am, all of me, and you have placed me here. He is now saying, listen, there is a way to think, interact, and work, even within the structures of authority that I have put in place. So Paul lays out a a starting principle. And it's a principle that some of us are, are really uncomfortable with, and it is this. It is this principle. Be subject to governing authorities. And there's something in a, about us just saying, uh-uh. You can't tell me what I may and may not do. I am a self-governing individual. It's kind of our American way. I have every right to every liberty that I design. I could pursue happiness however I want to. But Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a very clear and simple command. Every, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person. That's sweeping. That's very broad. And we see that Paul, again, has these sweeping statements that he intends to be applied very broadly. In the same way, according to Romans 12, verse 3, he says this, let everyone... Everyone should not think more highly of themselves. Instead, Paul is, and now Paul is saying, listen, I'm giving everyone, don't think of yourself too highly. Now he's saying, everyone, listen, I've got some instructions about how you live with authority. This is just another application of what it means to be a living sacrifice. And what it means to discern the will of God. In other words, how a Christian relates to government specifically and authority in general is very much a part of what the Christian life is all about. Christ-like character has public square implications. Write it down. Christ-like character has public square implications implications believers express their commitment to god in how they relate to the rulers and the laws of the state does that make sense we express our commitment our relationship to god in how we relate to those who are in authority and the the rules and the government that are in place Now, why would he make this statement or or raise this issue here? Let me give you just a couple of potential reasons. First of all, 
in commanding the believers not to be conformed to this world in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul recognizes that this sets up a collision course with the world and its system. Don't be conformed to the world. Paul just got done saying that, and he's now saying, well, now there's a collision course between the Christian and the world. And the government is a part of that system. And Rome was the very capital of the world. It was this superpower. It was kind of the very center of gravity for everything that was going on. And Paul's just got done saying, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Additionally, Christians are called to submit and affirm the very lordship of Christ. That, that's, that is who our Lord is. He is our King. And, and the frequent connection between government and religion created significant political problems and potential persecution. We don't experience much of that here. And if you think you're being persecuted, you're silly. You haven't seen persecution. But Paul is speaking to a church that is realizing it. But also on top of it, that there was more than likely some kind of disturbance that took place in Rome. And you can see that kind of reference in Acts uh, verse chapter 28. And historians believe that there was some kind of rebellion that took place in Rome itself. And because of this rebellion that took place in Rome, all the Jews, including Christian Jews, were expelled from Rome. And the question about rebellion was probably fresh in everybody's mind. And on top of this, Rome was brutal and Rome was godless. The church must have been wondering, how do we respond in this culture? They're brutal. They're godless. And it seems that the issue of taxation or supporting the government financially was on the front burner for many of them. If they are brutal and godless, what do we do with taxes? So all these areas and these reasons, Paul picks up this subject and he calls believers to live out their Christ-likeness by being submissive. A word that we hate, isn't it? But he's now calling them to be submissive. The word to be subject means to place oneself under, to be submissive to the orders of others, to willingly follow others' instructions, or to obey. Be subject. Be submissive to those in authority. And this really should not be common, uh, uncommon for believers, right? This call is not new. Listen. James chapter 4, believers are to submit themselves to God. Ephesians 5, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Hebrews 13, church leaders are to be obeyed and submitted to because they give an account to God. Ephesians 5, this is one we all love. Wives are to be submitting to their husbands. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters regardless of whether they are gentle or unjust. Christians are to be subject to every human institution. 
Therefore, you need to know that this concept of submission or subjection is not an unfair or an unusual command. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The overall posture of a believer is to be one of willing and joyful submission because it reflects something in us that is greater than us. Christ-likeness is expressed very clearly in the context of our relationships with others, especially to institutions and to those who are in authority. In other words, the very normative practice and pattern for a believer is one of respect, one of honor, and one of obedience. Now this raises a question for many of us. What do we do about evil rulers? Ungodly, immoral rulers? What about what do we do with sinful governments? Are we to always obey? What what about civil disobedience? Did did Martin Luther King Jr. get it wrong? Those are legitimate questions. And of course, there are times when believers are required to engage in civil disobedience because we must obey God rather than man. That's the call. And we, and we see examples all throughout Scripture of civil disobedience. We've got the disobedience of the midwives who saved a young boy named Moses. We, we see Daniel in the book of Daniel, disobeying the, disobeying the clear orders from the king. We also see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing civil disobedience. Throw me in. Throw me into the fire. Throw me in. I will not obey. And what's more, it was in Romans chapter 8 that we heard about believers being killed all day long. Paul is very aware of and has had probably very personal experience with bad government and civil disobedience. So there are exceptions. But you know what's striking here is that Paul makes no qualifications and gives no exceptions in this passage. And I believe he does so because he wants believers to have a particular Christ-like attitude when it comes to authority. Persecutions may and will come. You will be treated unfairly. And the government may not always be on your side. But there's a warning in this text about not developing a chip on your shoulder against the government by becoming naturally adversarial or becoming rebellious while wrapping, being, wrapping it all up in Christian triumphalism. Paul knows what he is not saying here. The goal of this book of Romans is not to overthrow the Roman power. That is not the goal of this book. That is not the goal of Christians, to overthrow our government. Paul's aim is to make known the power of God through salvation for everyone who believes. That is his goal. 
to make known the power of God through salvation for all who believe, not to start a political revolution. Do revolutions happen? Absolutely. Is political influence, especially Christian influence, bad? No, by no means. But I think the point is to be noted here is a very important one, namely that the Christian's civic posture and attitude is submission. Because ultimately, Jesus is our Lord. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And the gospel is our life mission. He's our Lord. Our citizenship, if you're a Christian, your citizenship, your first, you want to take a knee? Take a knee to Christ. Everything else is trivial. Take a knee to Christ and His gospel. Don't get caught up in these stupid flag stuff. Take a knee to Christ, His gospel, and that mission. That's what the Christian life is all about. So this passage invites us all to do some soul searching. And in the, mass, in the past few years, I have watched some believers who have responded emotionally to the shift in our culture with anger, aggression, and almost with a sense in their hearts that they are more attached to, Christ, uh, to American citizenship than to their heavenly citizenship. And we cannot tolerate that. I've watched some people justify less than Christian tones and words because of the pain of the past or because they've been fed up with injustice or with losing a cultural war. This text reminds us of who you as Christians really are. This is who you are. And there's a couple reasons why Paul is making these broad, sweeping states, statements. And it needs some justification. It, immediately following his statement about being subject to the governing authorities, he gives two important reasons why this is the way for believers and how, why we should live this way. And both concepts are rooted in who God is and what God has done. Here's the first one. Authority is God's idea. Did you pick that up in verse 1? There is no authority except from <laughs> President Trump, the Constitution, democracy. No. There is no authority except from God. This means that any governing entity, whether it be the state, the family, the courts, the law enforcement, whatever, does not have any authority on its own. All earthly authorities have derivative authority. In other words, it all derives from a greater source. Authority ultimately belongs to God. And all authority flows from Him. What's more, in the same way that authority flows from God, 
so does morality flows from God. Courts and governance, governments do not make something moral or immoral. Hear that. God does. The government can legalize prostitution, but that does not make it moral. It may legally define marriage as between two men or two women, but that does not mean God's view views it that way. Do not confuse making something legal and making something moral. Might or authority does not make right. Power, morality, and authority are all derivatives from God's power, morality, and authority. You got it? And there's, there's, this is important for two reasons. First, it's helpful so that anyone who is in power or exercising authority will keep in mind that while they may have power, they are ultimately not powerful in and of themselves. Understanding this helps keep power in check. The power that I have is ultimately from God Himself. That's a check, isn't it? Secondly, it's helpful so that believers understand that by submitting to earthly authorities, they are ultimately submitting to God's authority. Behind the authority figure, whether good or bad, is God's God's designed principle of authority. Negatively, negatively, people who abuse authority as well as people who are rebellious to authority figures both have a God problem. Positively, those who use power and authority wisely and who submit graciously uh, contribute to something absolutely beautiful. When rulers rule with justice, when fathers lead with Christ-likeness, when wives respect with authority, with, with respect, submit with respect, when children obey with joy, when police officers enforce the law fairly, when the judge, judges rule with equity, when citizens respond with respect, the culture benefits from the common grace of God's authority. Listen to how David at the end of his life said it. The Spirit of the Lord speaks with me. His word is on my tongue. The, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of, the, of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So authority, when used properly, when responded to correctly, is a beautiful gift from God. But another reason why authorities are to be submitted to is because, number two, authorities are appointed by God. I don't care how you voted the past couple presidential elections. Whoever is in the White House was not because of popular vote. Whoever is in the White House is there because God has placed 
that person there. That is how they are there. Paul just is moving from a general concept of authority as a gift from God to a more specific one. God has not only established the concept or the principle of authority, but He has also appointed men, women, to serve in these positions. God has done it. No king or no gov- or government is established apart from God's permission and God's will. Daniel 2 says this, He removes kings and set up, sets up kings. God's in the business of this. God sets up and removes kings. Therefore, both good and kings are established by God. Good governments and bad gov- governments are established by His will. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had sacked Jerusalem, destroyed it, and he is called in Jeremiah 27, a servant of the Lord. And there are times in Israel's history where God established or directed even wicked kings as a means of judgment. This doesn't answer all the questions about when not to submit, does it? But as a general rule or a guiding principle, Paul does not allow us to submit to just the principle of authority. Believers are, to, are required to submit to people and to institutions, even though they are imperfect or even evil. It's helpful uh, to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 where Peter commends submission to both good and unkind masters. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful to God, one endures sorrows while serving unjustly. The reason this passage is helpful because it helps us curtail our natural concern for our right to be treated with dignity. Now at one level there's something very right about justice, right? Very right. In fact, we have a God of justice who declares the final word. But the problem is that our culture elevates our rights to the level that can eclipse more important things. The Bible is far more concerned about sins like pride, rebellion, anger, more than it is concerned about the violation of individual rights. And I know in our culture this is hard to hear, Because we all are concerned about my rights. And we have inalienable rights, right? But yet, I'm not saying that there is no place for dealing with injustice. As it relates to yourself or to someone else. My concern is how quickly we run to the problem of injustice. How quickly we seek revenge and how angry we can get when things become unfair. 
And yet, hear this, no one goes to hell because he or she was treated unfairly or has his or her rights violated. Nobody goes to hell because your rights have been violated. But people do go to hell if their hearts are filled with unbelieving, self-centered pride instead of trusting in Christ. The issue I'm driving at is the, the one that I think this text is highlighting is where your heart is as it relates to authority, authority figures, unfair treatment, or even injustice. Paul was writing to the Roman Christians about Rome, and he knew how this could be taken, and he offered absolutely no contextualizations. He didn't give examples other than one when it came to taxes. Believers are called to submit to authorities because there is something more than the principle and people involved. God is ultimately to be the focus of our obedience. And while there may be times when disobedience is absolutely necessary and right, the normative pattern for believers, for you and me, is Christ-like submission, regardless of who the ruler is and whether or not we believe he is worthy. So there are some implications to this. The rest of this text, verses 2 through 7, cover the implications of what Paul has stated. There are two times that the word therefore is used in these verses, and that's where I derive our application. Don't do what is wrong because of judgment. The first point is straightforward and really intuitive. Paul commands believers to do what is right. And if they do not, they will incur incur God's appointed judgment as a result. Authority exists as a gift from God for the punishment of evil and the protection of what is right. And verse 2 reaffirms with different words about what we've talked about in verses 1. Authorities are appointed by God. And to resist these God-appointed authorities is to work against someone or something that God has appointed. And that's not a new thought. It is what, the, what, is, what is new in this text is the connection to judgment. The God-appointed authority has been given more than just a theoretical or a philosophical kind of power. They have the power to punish, to fine, to even kill. And that power is something that they have from God. Therefore, believers ought to be motivated to not disobey the government. Instead, the believers should be motivated towards good conduct and in having good conduct he will be approved by the person in authority the god appointed authorities have god appointed power so if you don't want to be afraid and if you do not want to receive judgment then don't do what's wrong it's pretty simple I'm going to move to the next point because there's just a lot here, but just hear this. Implied in this text 
is the assumption that the role of biblical authority is to rule or to lead in such a way that bad behavior is dealt with and good behavior is protected and affirmed. Second implication. Do what's right because it's right. He's, Paul is exhorting us to just do what's right. Not because of external consequences, but because of your internal conscience, which has been transformed by Jesus. Your, your mind is renewed by the working of the Spirit. So don't do what's good because, man, well, that, this seems to benefit me. Or do what's bad because I think they're bad. Do what's right because of your conscience, what God has given you. Do what is right because it's right. And verse 5 tells believers that, that righteousness and Christ-likeness is more than not just getting punished. Believers are exhorted and encouraged to be in subjection to authorities because it is the right thing to do. Believers are to be governed not by an external law, but also an, an internal law. They are to do what is right because it is absolutely right. So be law-abiding citizens because God's favor, because of God's favor and the flavor of Christ in you. That's why we do what we do. Strangely enough, Paul applies this specifically to the issue of taxes. We all love taxes, right? Many, there's probably very few of us who have not considered moving to Indiana because there's less taxes. There's actually government reform. There's actually a lot of things happening there. But here, Paul gets really personal. There, there was even Jesus asked, was asked the question, so what do we do with this? And Jesus said, give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? And give to God what is God's. When it comes to taxes, authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, the IRS agent is a minister of God. Kind of changes the way that you look at things, right? Go figure. And how different of a way to think of our culture. And no, notice how sweeping verse 7 is. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Pay your taxes. Revenue to whom revenue is, is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Revenue, taxes, respect, honor are not just things that we give. They are things that we owe because of a divinely ordained authority that God has established. Believers are not to think differently, talk differently, act differently, pay differently, appeal differently, disagree differently, advocate differently, and basically live differently because we are living sacrifices. We are unusual people because we belong to a heavenly kingdom while being models, model citizens, citizens here in this world. 
We see authority as a gift from God. So here's, here's a couple pastoral encouragements that I want to give you. Number one, keep developing a Christian mindset. Don't be caught up so much in this political game. I, I watch some of you on Facebook, and I just want to say, turn off the dang computer. It's stupid. We get so caught up in this kingdom that we forget that there is ultimately a greater kingdom. Develop a Christian mindset that understands that you are a sojourner through this world for a temporary time, but your ultimate allegiance during this time and at the end is ultimately the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not going to be Barack Obama, and it's not going to be Donald J. Trump. Is it J.? Donald J. Trump, that's not where your ultimate allegiance or the next president, that's not where it's going to be. Develop a Christian mindset. Also, set your affections on the right things. The challenges of our, our culture have a purifying effect on the church as we are pushed to really evaluate the basis of our hope our dreams, our purpose, our identity, our purpose, our identity, our hopes are not found in the Constitution. Okay? But we are exiles. We are sojourners. And we need to see and feel it in a new way. That as we are journeying through this time, our affections are not found in our citizenship here. If you get more caught up in a country music song that says, I'm proud to be an American, and you just have this warm, fuzzy thing, and you don't feel even greater so when you sing songs like Amazing Grace, or My Chains Are Gone, I've been set free. You've missed it. Another one is be godly. We need Christians who follow Jesus in every single arena of your life. This is no time to be playing around with simple patterns that give the world more reason to reject the gospel. We need people who will be model citizens, who are model employees, who are model neighbors, who are model spokesmen, so that when we are accused of doing wrongdoing, people may appeal to our long-term godliness. And lastly, don't be afraid. Trust in Jesus. There's three more years in this term. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get somebody just as bad or just as good. Again. And you know what's going to happen after that? It could go bad. Really bad. And it, you know what's going to happen after that? It might get a little bit better. And it could go really bad. Get really good. Really bad. Don't put your trust in our governmental system. Put your trust in Christ. Battle through fear that could lead you to worry. Have, have sinful anger or commit 
actions that you are ultimately regret. Remember that our king is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and one day he is going to return, and on that day, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what? They're gonna, God's going to look at America and go, thanks, I'm done with you. Here's the ultimate kingdom. Come, taste, see, savor, enjoy, swim in this bath of grace and mercy. Relish what my kingdom is about. And don't fear anymore. Because I am going to be the ruler where there is peace. Lion can sleep, uh, the lamb can lay down with the lion. There's no more fear. There's no more persecution. Our trust and our hope and our confidence is in Him. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. If any of you smell of American patriotism over kingdom, allegiance. Watch out. I'm coming for you. Our, our allegiances are all or Canadian. Shauna. I want to hear more about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this world. Father God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, and God, we are longing for this day. We are longing for your return. And we know on that day when you return, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue, every man, woman, and child will confess that you are Lord. Help, our, help us to have our greatest allegiance to be in your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom come and that your will be done here on earth, Lord, as it's perfectly established in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.